Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hello, faithful podcast listeners. Pastor Adam here. Hey, we wanted to just give you this uh, quick announcement. First of all, I want to say how much we love you and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast on the Potter's House Church here in Virginia Beach. And just wanted to give you a heads up, we're making some changes to this podcast uh, that's going to benefit you and also our ministry here in the Potter's House Church. So just to inform you, we've switched our podcasting host. It's a service called Anchor, and that has allowed us to uh, receive and generate some income through the placement of a couple of advertisements during our podcast. So we just wanted to inform you of this change because going forward, you are going to hear one or two 30-second ads during each podcast uh, sermon. So um, as a result of that small inconvenience on your part, it means that our church can monetize these podcasts and also that means that we can receive some financial support so that we can continue the work of winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. So we just wanted to say thank you again for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing these messages. And thank you for your patience as we make this helpful change. We hope you have a great day. God bless. People who believe God, and that's you tonight. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come on down there with you all tonight, if that's okay. And we're going to treat this as uh, a little bit more like a, a Bible study uh, and give you the opportunity to ask questions tonight as we continue in our study of the book of Revelation. And uh, when we last let off, we looked at chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation, which is a direct window into the very throne room of God an incredible description uh, of what God's throne room uh, looks like. The creatures that were there uh, to worship God day and night. I want to encourage you, if you did not hear that or don't remember it, you can go back and listen. Uh, There's recordings on our podcast. And so tonight we want to continue going forward. Um, When we last let off in the book of Revelation, There was sadness, there was sorrow on the behalf of John, the apostle, who was writing uh, this account. Uh, The reason that he became sad and sorrowful was because there was a scroll, a scroll that had been sealed up seven times. And because of that scroll, that seal, there was information inside that scroll that was crucial to how the world is going to play out in the last days. And he was sad because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And as uh, this began to take place, there was, uh, there was a, it says, uh, one of the elders turned to him, this is chapter 5, verse 5, and said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And we find this description as we discover the Son of God, the Lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ, the one who died for us and rose again. He is the only one in heaven or in earth who was worthy to begin unsealing that scroll. And now as we turn our attention to chapter 6, What we're going to find here is a description of what is written uh, in the scroll, the scroll of all ages, which is describing how the world is going to play out 
in the last days. And so we're going to begin to see these seven seals and what is written there and why it is important for us to understand. Because these seals are happening, uh, the unveiling or the uncovering of these seals happen in a distinct order. And it's an order that plays out in the end of the world. So before I continue, I just want to make sure, is there, uh, we can get a microphone running around here tonight. Uh, maybe I've got some young legs. Uh, Shaden, can you help me out tonight? All right, come sit right here. And if anybody raises their hand, I want you to take that microphone to them, okay? And you can just sit right there on the front, on the front row next to Amanda, right there. Okay, so what we're going to do tonight is, it, uh, before we begin looking at the new content, are there any questions or comments as you are thinking or praying or reading this scripture so far, any reactions to uh, what we talked about last time that you'd like to bring to my attention? Anybody? Okay, then let's begin looking at Revelation chapter 6, where we see the first seal that is opened. It says these words, now... I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures. Now, these we talked about these four living creatures uh, in, our, in, in the last session. And do you remember what the four living creatures, do you remember what we determined that they are? Does anyone remember? Noel? Seraphim, which are? They're angelic beings created by God to live in his throne room and in his presence forever. And so uh, these four living creatures that were described already, they uh, are kind of like the tour guide for the Apostle John as he is seeing all these things. So uh, he says, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And we're going to see that the first four seals that are uncovered, each one of them is a different horse. This is where you've heard the terms, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And maybe you've heard that, uh, something that has gained some popularity in in, uh, in Hollywood and, and I don't know, somehow it's a popular term, terminology, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. This is where it comes from. The first four seals uncover these four horsemen riding on horses of different colors. So does anyone want to take a guess, first of all, uh, who this represents? The first horseman, the first horseman who is riding on a white horse. And uh, it says that he has a bow, a crown, went out conquering and to conquer. Any guesses tonight? Yes? We have a guess of Jesus riding on a white horse. Definitely a possibility. Marquita? Switch? Slide it up. You got it? Maybe it's turned off. Go ahead, Marquita. We can hear you. You think it represents angels? Okay. Anybody else have a guess? Pardon? Spider-Man? Oh, wise men. Okay. Anybody else want to take a guess? Okay, so uh, I am of the opinion. Now, I, I should just give this a little uh, uh, pre-warning that um, when, when it comes to interpreting the book of Revelation, I cannot tell you that there is a absolute definite answer, this or that. Hey, Shaden, when you're holding that, you've got to turn the microphone off and then turn it on when somebody's ready to speak. Got it? 
Okay, and so I, I can't stand up here and tell you I know definitely what this represents. But what we can do tonight is we can point to different clues. Now, uh, when it comes to these four horsemen, what we can notice from the scripture, first of all, is that these seals are being uncovered in a certain order, okay? This order is lining up with a period of time that is taking place. And so one happens before another, and then another, and then another. Now remember that, uh, that all of these things are leading up. Well, we're going to see what they lead up to. But these things are leading up to the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. And, um, and so the first step, the first horse that is represented here, I believe uh, that we can be safe to, to determine that it does not say anything about uh, the Son of God here. It does say that he had a bow. It does not say anything about arrows. It also says that he was given a crown. Not that he had a crown already, but he was given a crown. And it also says about this first writer that he was a conqueror. And so based just on those clues, I think that we can determine that this is indeed the Antichrist. The first uh, mark of the beginning of the end times is the coming of the Antichrist. And so I want to take a few minutes tonight to uh, describe who the Antichrist is and what he is, what we can expect from him. Can I get a couple of scriptures for you to read tonight, volunteers? Chris, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 18, 19, and 22. Um, I would also like to get uh, Amanda... 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, one more, Daniel chapter 7, Mom. Daniel 7, verse 23. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the Antichrist and why he is such a prominent figure uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation and always connected to the end times. So can I get that scripture? 1 John, Jaden, we need uh, your help. Oh, you're doing it? Hey, so if you're going to hold the microphone, you can't be playing video games. Uh, pass it over to your dad. 1 John 2, verses 18, 19, and 22. Little children, it is the last hour, and you have heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For, they ha for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, and none of them were of us. Verse 22. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Okay, so we have a couple of things that you have to understand here about the Antichrist. So number one, we have to understand that there is such a thing as an Antichrist spirit at work in the earth. So before there is ever an embodiment of an Antichrist, of some evil dude who takes over the world, long before that ever happens, there has been at work an Antichrist spirit. Did you notice in that scripture where it says that many Antichrists have come, plural? Who are these Antichrists that have come, even at the time when John wrote this? Can you, can you tell me? Who are the Antichrists? Yes, Noel. Sorry? Nero, Nero certainly. Uh, and how do we know that he was an antichrist? Maybe not the antichrist, but he was one of antichrists. Yes? Absolutely. So uh, someone, someone who comes against Christ and his church. Absolutely. Can we think of any other uh, people who had a spirit of antichrist maybe in history? Yes? Chris? King Herod? Absolutely. King Herod, who literally was anti-Christ. He was anti the coming of the Messiah. Somebody else who has carried anti-Christ spirit, Mom? Absolutely. Pharaoh, who slaughtered babies. Let's get some more contemporary. 
within the last uh, hundred years or so? Can we identify anyone in our history who carried an antichrist spirit? Dave? Stalin, absolutely, who rooted out uh, pastors uh, and uh, churches and killed millions. Yes. Hitler certainly carried an antichrist spirit. Who else? Mao was one of the socialist dictator in China. And to this day, there is an antichrist spirit in China uh, that is seeking to destroy the church. Okay, so you get the idea that just because... Uh, certain people have risen to prominence doesn't mean that there uh, has not yet appeared Antichrist. So many Antichrists have come, but there is in that scripture, it says, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. In that scripture, my Bible, there's a capital A, Antichrist. So even though there have been many antichrists, many, there have been many that the spirit of antichrist have used, and yet there is coming a singular antichrist, an embodiment of the antichrist spirit. Uh, it is important for us to understand that the antichrist will ultimately come to an embodiment. In the, much the same way that there was a Christ-like spirit, right? like we can look through the Old Testament and we can see messianic prophecies at work, right? We can see like Moses represents a, a Messiah figure. A Joseph represents a Messiah figure. You can see throughout the Old Testament, even Samson was meant to be a, a messianic figure. Uh, Nehemiah, who rescued his people, right? Again and again, we see prophecies like that. But they ultimately came to a fulfillment, didn't they, in Jesus Christ, who was not just messianic, but he was the Messiah. And so in the same or a similar way, we have uh, an antichrist spirit in the world that is leading up ultimately to this first horseman that is going to mark the beginning of the end times. And when, Jesus, uh, uh, or when, when it is revealed to the Apostle John that there's a white horse, and on it, it says he had a bow, he had a crown, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Uh, let's read those other scriptures. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. That was you, Amanda. Up here, Shady. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness. Is revealed the one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Okay, so this again, this is the mark of the coming Messiah is that he is going to claim that he is God. Okay, we see again in Daniel 7, verse 23. Go ahead, Mom. You're loud enough. All right. Shaden, you're going to pass it off to Jaylee. She's going to help out now. Thanks, buddy. Okay, so the Antichrist is going to be the leader. Now, I can't say with 100% certainty that the Antichrist is going to be a single man, a person. It could be a government. It could be a nation. It could be a group of people. It could be a group of leaders. But um, we don't know for sure exactly. But here's what we do know, that under the Antichrist, there will be a government that takes over the entire world. It says the main feature of this first horseman is that he went out conquering and to conquer. What's interesting about this description here that he had a bow, isn't it interesting that it doesn't say anything about arrows? He has a bow, but no arrows. What does that tell you? It tells you that probably his 
is uh, rising to the throne, to the place of prominence, will be without very much uh, conflict. There's not going to be much resistance. The world is going to receive the Antichrist as a conquering king. He is not going to come with great amounts of bloodshed. He will come onto the scene and the world will receive him as king. And we'll recognize him. And, uh, and, and so whether it is an, a single individual or perhaps a small group of people, we're not sure exactly about that. But what can we watch for? What can we see in a world today as it leads up to these end times and to this coming of the first horseman that is described in Revelation? I believe what we can look for is chaos. Think about this for just a moment. The Antichrist will be the answer to chaos in the world. He is going to take advantage of a time in the world where chaos is breaking out. Now, let me just ask you this question. Right now, in the world, (laughs) are we seeing more or less chaos than we did five years ago? More. In In the Western world, are we seeing more or less chaos than we used to? Absolutely. And so what the Antichrist, the reason why his reign will come, the reason why he will conquer and the reason why he doesn't need arrows is because he will come on the scene promising to bring order and peace. He will come as a great unifier. He will come with great promises to bring people together. He will come with, uh, with the promise even to bring peace between Palestine and the Jews. He will come with a promise to make it easier between Christians and Islam. He will make, he will make grand promises about bringing together uh, the, the North and the South Koreans. Right? And politically, he is going to make all kinds of amazing promises and he will deliver. And the world will be amazed. He'll be on the cover of magazines. He'll be on television programs, giving interviews. He will be loved by many. Dave. That's an interesting theory. And I, I've, there's a book, a whole book written about that. And, uh, and so, yes, uh, there's definitely a lot to say about that. The Bible's not absolutely specific on it, but definitely would make sense. And so the Antichrist spirit uh, is going to be ultimately embodied in an individual or in a small group and almost like a satanic superman. He is the ultimate enemy of God. And when he finally has, when when the, the white horse comes on the scene and he goes out conquering and to conquer... Uh, he is going to uh, amaze the world. The Bible calls him Antichrist with a capital A. And the, the true mark that he is the Antichrist is that he will make the claim, I am God. Bow down and worship me. And that Antichrist spirit is the same Antichrist that, uh, that attempted to tempt Jesus when Jesus was on the earth. You remember the temptations that Jesus faced from the devil himself. You remember those temptations? One of the temptations was, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world as long as you do what? Bow down and worship me. This will be the one thing that the Antichrist demands of his followers. That we would reject every other God, every, and especially Jesus. We would reject the church. And that, uh, and that we would worship him and him alone as God. Yes, Andre. Um, I was just reading, and absolutely. I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. So, and then that's why he asked, uh, 
Absolutely. That's a very good observation, and I was about to get to that. <laughs> so um, you are absolutely right. The question is, how, how is it possible that these horses are coming from God? How is it possible that God would ordain an antichrist figure to come and take power on the earth? Can, somebody, can anybody answer that question? Dave? Yes, absolutely. And so this is a God-ordained plan for the end of the world. It does not mean that God is the author of evil. It does not mean that God approves of the work of the Antichrist. But it does mean that God is going to allow his judgment to be poured out on the earth. The Bible tells us that God is, right now, in 2019, God is withholding his justice and his wrath. And you better be glad that he is. We are living in a time of grace and mercy. We are living in a time where Christ, his love and his compassion and his blood is given for all so that we can have time and we can have the opportunity to know him. Aren't you glad for that? That God doesn't strike lightning bolts every time you blaspheme. He doesn't do it. Judgment is delayed it is not instant but what we're reading about in this scripture in, in revelation we are reading about the time when god allows his judgment to begin and that judgment begins with the first horseman the horseman that uh, carries the antichrist spirit into the world which is the marker that the end times is upon us now you might look at that and say well that's scary and it is some scary things are about to happen uh, but what we really ought to do is we ought to be gl glad and joyful because when we see the markings of this future time that is to come, it ultimately means that redemption is coming soon. For those of us right with the world are right with God and, uh, and we want to see justice take place, don't we? We live in a world filled with injustice. We live in a world where uh, where sins are not punished like they should be. I mean, I, just in the, the news in the last couple of weeks, how about this, uh, this, uh, this monster, Jeffrey Epstein, who slipped away oh so carefully in his jail cell. We don't know exactly all that happened, but I can tell you this, he didn't get what he deserved. Not in this life. But God is a God of justice. And that's why there must be a hell. That's why there must be a place where God can exact the correct judgment against sin. Okay, so, uh, so then we see after the Antichrist enters on the scene, there's another horse, second seal that is opened. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and that there was given to him a great sword. Now, what do you suppose tonight that that is symbolic of or what is that seal that has been released? Yes, Chris, war. You are absolutely right. The Antichrist spirit will come. And he will promise great peace. He will be a man of big words. But when he takes the throne and when he conquers, all of those words will come to mean terrible war. Wars like we've never seen. The last hundred years in, uh, in, our, in our world were the deadliest years that have ever happened on the planet Earth. More people have died within the last hundred years because of war than at any other time in all of human history. You think about that. But that will pale in comparison 
to the wars that will break out under the, the reign of the end times. And so um, just think about, you know, some of the worst weapons that have been created by man had not, not even been used. You think about the bombs that were dropped in, on Japan and Hiroshima, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And uh, those were atom bombs, and they were terrible. But the bombs we have now can do 10 times or 100 times the destruction of those two bombs. And you think about what would happen if, if those bo- kinds of bombs were released onto the earth. That is, a, is definitely a possibility for the fiery red horse that people should kill one another. And to him was given a great sword. That's pretty scary. So it gets worse before it gets better. <laughs> okay. Uh, any questions or comments so far? Yes, Adele. Yes, we can. Uh, we can go. Does anyone know the chapter that Jesus spoke about the signs of the end times? It's Matthew chapter 24, and I'll be happy to read it for you. The, the disciples of Jesus heard him speaking about the end times and had the same question. Jesus, we want to know when these things are going to happen. Can you tell us? And he says, absolutely, I can. Matthew chapter 24. Signs of the end of the age. Uh, this is verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. First mark is that false Christs, people claiming to be the Messiah, but they are not. Uh, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, that means diseases, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. What's another mark? Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended. Are we living in the most offended generation or what? We will betray one another. We'll hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. He who endures to the end shall be saved. So I challenge you to point to one single marker that is not happening in our generation. And not only that it's happening, but it's happening with greater frequency and greater intensity. We just mentioned uh, on our podcast the other night, when, uh, when a woman is in labor and about to give birth to a child, one of the marks that that birth is coming quickly is that those labor pains become more intense and more frequent, right? And it is leading up to something, something big. And when we look at our world today, if we notice that these markers, not only are they happening, because these things have been happening a long time, right? There's been earthquakes around for a long time. There's been diseases around for a long time. But what I'm saying is that when you see them increasing in frequency and in intensity, then it has to lead to something. And that's why we have the book of Revelation. So we can know what it's leading up to. Caitlin. I think you're absolutely right. I th- it doesn't even say anything about nations here. All it says is on, in that second seal that people should kill one another. And I can see that uh, reflected in religious wars, persecution that's happening around the world today. Boko Haram in Nigeria 
These are Muslims that are slaughtering Christians every single day. Uh, but it's, it's not just religious wars that will break out. It will be all kinds of wars. And so, um, so there, is, um, there is something uh, that is restraining the world as it is today. Can I get another scripture volunteer to read, Chris? 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 8. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what this scripture tells us is that the mystery of lawlessness, that is always connected with the Antichrist spirit, okay? But that, it's already at work. When this was written 2,000 years ago, that spirit of lawlessness was already at work in the earth. Has that spirit of lawlessness increased or decreased in 2,000 years? Right? And every year that passes, lawlessness, is it increasing or decreasing? Absolutely. Absolutely. But this is what's interesting about that scripture. It says, now you know what is restraining. There is from God, from the Holy Spirit, a restraining power. I want to suggest to you tonight that we would be dead except for that restraining power of God. There would be no United States of America except for that restraining power of God. That the Holy Spirit is working in the earth today. We ought to be grateful for that. That he is working to restrain the mystery of lawlessness, the spirit of Antichrist, to slow down the works of evil. God is merciful to restrain wickedness. Isn't he? But in this time, when these four horsemen begin to be revealed, when these seals are opened, The Bible says that that restraining spirit will be taken away. Now, many people would would also argue that in this time that uh, the church has also already exited the scene, that there there is a rapture event to take place before this even begins, that the church will be... So uh, we haven't talked about it yet because it's not yet in the book of Revelation. But... um, um, this is, this is something that comes from other places in the Bible where it speaks about how Jesus will come first to receive his church and pull the influence of the church out of the world before all of this uh, terror begins. And so whether we're on the earth or whether we're not, I just want to say this, the Spirit of God which restrains evil will be removed by this point. And that is a, that is a frightening thought, frightening for those who would remain on the earth. What we see in the second seal, it sounds a lot like that restraint being removed. That second rider on the red horse, I would say, represents the time when God removes his restraint. Okay, let's look at the third seal, verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse... And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. And now we have a a third marker of the end of days. A third judgment released by God into the world. And what do, you, what do you suppose that this is talking about? Yes. Famine. Famine and scarcity. We talked this morning, in my message, I talked a little bit about famine and drought and how terrible it would be to have to live through a time of famine and drought. In this time when great world wars have broken out and people are being slaughtered, in addition to that evil will be scarcity on the earth. A denarius is a day's wage. How much do you make in one day? If, if you're doing pretty well, you could probably make 200 bucks in a day, 300 bucks in a day, right? So he's saying that a quart 
a quart of wheat for a day's wage. Imagine going, going to Walmart. That's like buying a pound of flour. How much is a pound of flour? A buck, maybe. You know, you're a baker, yes? How much is a pound of flour? Dollar eighteen. <laughs> How much do you have to work to purchase a pound of flour? Like a minute, right? <laughs> a minute or ten minutes or something like that. So, so the, the, the time that is put into work that reflected in the amount that you have to pay to get that pound of flour, it's not very much. It's not a big deal. You can t- and you can take that pound of flour and you can make all kinds of goodies with it. You can make muffins or cookies. I'm going to get hungry if I keep talking like that. But what I'm saying is that one, one minute of work equals how many loaves of bread or how many big batch of cookies, right? But in these days, if you want to get that same pound of flour, you're going to have to work for weeks because it's going to be so rare and so expensive that you won't be able to eat. Things will be scarce. Three quarts of barley for a denarius. That's the cheap kind. That's the Walmart bread. But three of them. So uh, they, they would say that, uh, that this, this marker that they use, the, the, the quart of wheat, they say that this is about this, the recommended caloric intake for a grown man in a day. So that means uh, at least, just to survive, you need at least 1,000 calories a day. If you don't get 1,000 calories a day, then you are on your way out of this world, right? Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in time. So the recommended caloric intake is 2,000 calories a day. Some of you had 2,000 calories for lunch today. (laughs) But the recommended daily calorie intake is 2,000. The bare minimum just to survive and stay healthy is about 1,000. That one quart of wheat is only 650 calories. It means that all of a sudden your body begins to shut down. It's not sustainable for long periods of time. And to purchase that 650 calories is a whole day's wages. Now, does this mean that this scarcity is going to be experienced by everyone on earth? Probably not. There will still be strongholds of wealthy people. There will still be people in power who will allow others to die from hunger while they themselves can continue living in lavish luxury. But I can tell you this. In those days when food is scarce, when you can't go to Walmart and buy a Snickers bar, the world is going to change quickly. Especially if it's the case that the church has been raptured and there's no more good people on the world. Well, hopefully we don't have to kill for our food. But anyone who has a conscience will die. Anyone who cares about their fellow human being will probably starve to death. The only way to stay alive in this world is to kill, steal, and destroy, and to become like the Antichrist. Are you hearing with me? This is a good time to begin thinking about the plagues of Egypt. Think about what happened to Egypt. Egypt was the prominent nation in the world at the time of the Exodus. The time when Moses came, they were thriving, they were prospering, they were the powerhouse, much like America is today in the world. There's no stronger economy in the world than the United States economy, right? No, no, no greater military than the United States military. But how long did it take for Egypt, the great powerhouse of the world, how long did it take for them to go from number one to almost wiped off the map? Ten plagues. That's all it took. Ten plagues. And where did those plagues come from? They came from God, didn't they? And we know that the Antichrist spirit is at work, but it is God's purpose and God's plan allowing these seals to be opened, allowing these horsemen to be loosed on the earth. 
As believers, we have to keep in mind that these plagues are not intended for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And just in the same way that God rescued his people out of Egypt, in the same way, it's probably a good idea to start living for God now so that we're not around to experience this wickedness. And we've only made it to the third seal. Let's go to the fourth seal, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. Hades followed with him. And the power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death. And, listen to this, and by the beasts of the earth. And so by the time that we've made it to this fourth horseman of the apocalypse, the marker of his influence, death and hell, will be that a quarter, 25% of the world, will die. That's a lot of death. We are almost in world population right now. We are almost to the point of, of 8 billion. We're getting there quickly. Can you imagine 2 billion people gone? There was a time I, I, I've uh, listened to a podcast recently of... Um, it's a history podcast about, and it's, it's about different times in world history. And he began to describe a time in European history where there was a similar event, uh, although it was a local event. It was a, the time called the Black Plague. Anybody ever heard of that? It was a time when new diseases were on the scene. They didn't know how to deal with them. They didn't know how to treat them. And so people would get sick and they would die. And then their rotting corpses would become infected and would infect more people and then the rats would chew on the dead bodies and the rats would go bite other people and very quickly uh, in certain places in Europe 30 and 40 percent would die in weeks in months terrible but what I'm saying is can you imagine that now in a world that is now what four or five times the population as it was back then and that a quarter of the people all around the world will be dead. So let's turn quickly to Ezekiel. Uh, this is where you were reading from, Andre. Ezekiel 14, where it describes these exact four same judgments. In many ways, the book of Ezekiel is kind of a, um, it's an, an assist to understand the book of Revelation. So... If you want to get some more insight on what is written. So you just got to remember that, uh, that John, who wrote this book, he was a Jew. And that he would have been very familiar with the Old Testament, the scriptures that were there. And, uh, and so he, he would have been using words and imagery that he was already familiar with. And that's why there's these links that go back to Old Testament prophets. So Ezekiel chapter 14. Can somebody read? Somebody got that handy? Yes, Marquita. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 21. Yep. Okay, so it's the, the exact same four judgments. Again, I'll read that uh, louder so everyone can hear. I will send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem. The sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence. It's a different order, but the same four. To cut off man and beast from it. Now, what's interesting to me, what's mentioned there uh, in verse, uh, verse 8 of Revelation chapter 6, that a fourth of the world will 
will be destroyed to be killed with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. What does that mean to you? What do you get from that? (laughs) (laughs) It's Jurassic Park, yeah. Absolutely. But maybe not velociraptors, but certainly the animal kingdom will turn against us. You know, one of the one of the things that's amazing about the world that God created is that way, way back in Genesis, do you remember when God made Adam in the garden? And what did he say to Adam? He said, you shall have dominion over the earth. And all these creatures, you will have authority over them. And mankind, even though we don't possess great strength like lions or elephants or bears, we don't have great strength like they do physically. But what do we have? We have authority over them. We have ways of domesticating animals. We have ways of protecting ourselves from those animals. We put them in cages or we build walls or we do a lot of things to keep the wild animals at bay. But something's going to happen during this time. The animal kingdom will turn against and will become instruments of God's judgment. Just think of that when you have Fido sitting in your house at home. If Fido is sitting in your house and maybe, uh, maybe for the guy who lives on, on the top of the mountain and his closest neighbor is 100 a, a miles away and he says to himself, well, I'm good. Antichrist can't get me here. And there's, there's Bubba, the Rottweiler. And the Antichrist spirit will begin to be employing the, the animal kingdom. Again, uh, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14, uh, verses 21. Can I get somebody to read? Ezekiel, mom. Ezekiel 14, verses 21 through 23. Okay, so yeah, it's interesting that it does mention the remnant. Now, this, this is speaking specifically about Jerusalem and then prophetically about end times. So in Jerusalem, there will be a remnant that will be left. It, so it will, back in those times when Ezekiel was making this prophecy, he's prophesying about the city Jerusalem. And he says these same four judgments will come, but there will be a remnant. It looks like they'll be consumed, but God says, I'm going to keep a few to protect I'm going to keep a remnant left behind just so that you're not utterly destroyed. That's God's grace and mercy. But see, that remnant is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. God is not interested in keeping a remnant because by this time, if we read the scriptures correctly and interpret that there is a rapture event that is going to remove the church, God is not interested in keeping a remnant anymore. His remnant has already been removed. The fourth seal is easily the most catastrophic and deadly judgment to hit the earth that we've read so far. In a very short period of time, one quarter of the earth will die by unnatural causes. War, famine, disease, and wild animals will take the lives of 25% of the earth. It's almost like Thanos. This is not just going to be big news. It will be the only news for a certain amount of time. It's going to be worse than any Hollywood movie could ever depict. The four causes of death. We, we 
uh, we can't even can't even begin to understand the agony a quarter of the world's population gone dead because of war famine wild animals and hunger yes out. It'll be the only fight left. If you don't have food, you're on your way out of this world. So, And especially if the Christians are all gone and they've got no conscience left. It's going to be uh, Lord of the Flies territory. So, let me give you some hope. The first horseman has not yet arrived. We still live in the time of God's grace and God's mercy. And it is time for us now to live for him. Because there is something coming that your neighbors do not want to experience. And if we have the love of Christ, if we have the revelation, the understanding of what is going to happen, and we do nothing with it, that's kind of heavy. But when we begin to understand what is going to happen to this world and that God has given us an escape plan, he's given us the way out. He's given us the understanding of how to be free, how to not experience, how to not go through this. And We have to not only embrace this for ourselves, but we've got to teach our children and we've got to tell our neighbors. And that is the call to action tonight. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening as we bring this service to a close. Oh, the book of Revelation. What fun. And as we consider these things tonight, these future occurrences, that the Bible says this is not a question of if it will happen. It's a question of when. And there have been calls you read in the word of God, you see it over and over, you see that even believers 2,000 years ago, they expected Jesus to return at any moment. Now some people look at that and they say, well, if Jesus hasn't come back in 2,000 years, maybe he won't ever come back. Maybe I can just keep living how I'm living and I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to worry about four horsemen of the apocalypse It's just a book. It's just a story. Or is it? If the believers of 2,000 years ago expected Jesus to come back at any time, and now 2,000 years has passed and he hasn't come back, I wonder how much closer we are now. That with every day that passes, we come a day closer to the worst time the world has ever seen my hope and my uh, my prayer for you tonight is that you and I would not just have the information but that we would have the heart to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and what the question is uh, you know I'm, I'm not intending to just scare people tonight The question is, what are you going to do with this information? Information is power. Power to do what's right with our lives. The correct response to learn, the correct response is, God, you are holy. Because the reason that God is pouring out all of this, the reason is because he is holy. And God does not suffer. God's response is, to the wickedness of the earth. Will you be included in God's wrath? There's a way, beloved, that you're... It's at the cross. Jesus gave his life so that we can... As we bring this service to a close, I wonder if there's someone here. You say, Pastor, God says about the end times, about the days that are coming, and I do not want to experience that. I've heard the truth, and I believe that it is real. And I need to get my heart right before I leave this place. 
If that's you, I would love to pray with you. We need to check our hearts tonight. The scripture says that we need to examine our hearts to see and test whether we are in a faith. And what about you tonight? Are you prepared for these last days? How do you prepare for them? You repent of sins and trust in the Lord Jesus, the only one who can rescue us from them. And so tonight, if that's you, I want to pray with you, unsaved or backslidden in this place. I'd love to pray with you. Would you lift up your hand? Is there someone here? Quickly. Quickly, God's dealing with you. Anyone at all? Quickly tonight. And let me open up this altar. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.